After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, it's Mind Rolling Podcast, and uh, I'm Raghu Marcus with uh, David Silver. Hello. Hi, Dave. We're back. Yep. Well, uh, I I thought of a new, as you know, because we, we just talked about it, but I thought of a new segment for Mind Rolling. Oh, what, uh, yeah. oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called News from the End of the World. Because, okay, uh, we just, uh, D- David's here in uh, North Carolina, where he f- visits us uh, regularly. And uh, we went out and did a little errand. And I came back into the car because he was perusing the news, uh, y- you yeah. know, uh, yeah. whiling away the hours. Um, so th- uh, this is what he said to me. So it gave me the idea this will be the first in a series. Or I- this will be a segment we'll have, uh, you know. Go ahead. Tell oh, me this story. No, oh, yeah. Well, I was in the car because, uh, you know, uh, looking after the, the 92 dogs. <laughs> and um, I love them all. Anyway, uh, so I was left in the car. And I was looking at my iPad at the news, you know, Huffington, whatever. This was BBC, actually. And it was news that, that was sort of like this. Uh, grandmothers turned to prostitution in Korea. And I thought, well, this is, you know, The Onion, or it's some Stephen Colbert, or but no, no. And I went to it and to, you know, sort of summarize it briefly. Uh, the tradition in Korea, as in many uh, Asian countries, is that old people are treated, you know, well, the elders' tradition is fully intact. Uh, but... South Korea's enormous economic success and technological success and automotive success has created a society not that different from ours, only it's more the extreme. The Kia. The Kia, Kia yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. And Samsung and everything. For the money. Unbelievable. So the kids are just not, you know, they have the money, but they don't feel any responsibility to look after their old parents. And it seems to be a, an epidemic and not a good one. And in this article it said, if you can see, this is a park in Seoul where the old men play chess, and sit around and smoke. And uh, some of the old women were so impoverished, it's not funny this, but it is news from the end of the world, and so left behind by their kids that they said, well, we're going to sell this drink called Bacchus drink. It's an energy drink, you know, and they, they, they sell it for three bucks. And so they were doing this in this park, 
out of desperation. And then they realize, wait, we can make much more money. These guys are really horny, and we're just going to become prostitutes. So there's an epidemic of hundreds of these old women, uh, older women, uh, f between about 67 and 81 was the oldest one I read about, who, you know, are sadly making their money from this, uh, from the oldest profession. But now it really is the oldest profession <laughs> for the oldest people. Oh. It's just awful. But, you know, you kind of have a sense of humor. You go crazy. So um, News from the end of the world. Right. So right. we're we're is there more to this story? Well, the the, uh, the the paradox of the whole thing is that there you got this successful economy, which makes many other countries look really poor because they've really done well, and yet the money's not trickled down from the children to the p uh, to the parents and grandparents because the uh, family is disintegrating in lieu of technology, of which Seoul is a hub. Mm. So that's news from the end of the world because it's just not right. I mean, it, it should be the opposite. You know, the kids get more prosperous. It's like, hey, we're going to build a wing on our house and grandma can come live there and, and do whatever she wants to do at that time in her life. No, that does not seem to be what's happening. It is the end of the world, that one. Oh. Yeah. Don't you, you have one, don't you? What? Uh, oh, an end of the world? Yeah. Well, my sister, who lives in Newfoundland, right? Yeah. She, and you know, it's fairly... Uh, I'd say it's not even it, as cold as it gets here in North Carolina, you know, because it's temperate. It's right near the ocean. Huh. I mean, they get some really, you know, snow and all that. She sends a picture the other day of an iceberg. She's right by the ocean. An iceberg floating by in hmm. Newfoundland. Floating by. The breaking of the icebergs. This is so uh, climate change, right? Right in front of her window, oh. <laughs> the broken, you know, up uh, icebergs are floating by her. It's the end of the world, isn't it? It's just not as per well. It's going to be pretty pernicious as well. As even it if it isn't, the attitudes towards these phenomena is the end of the world in terms of uh, consciousness. In right. terms of these people, like uh, we don't have to mention. Barack Obama gave a really substantial speech about climate change quite recently. And no matter what you think about the president, he's actually brought it up and wants legislation and to go beyond Kyoto. And I think that that's admirable, no matter what. And the response to this by you-know-who, uh, you know, the and let's just flow out compassion to these unfortunate human Can beings. Can we call them bad bobs? Bad bobs. You know, from a blazing saddle. You remember bad bob? Yeah, he was. Sorry about that, Dave. What is that? It'll go away. Oh, okay. it's a phenomenon that I can't control. I don't know why it's, it's a here. weird beep. Yeah, it's every once in a while. It's a wake-up beep. Just look at it that way. Bad Bob. Bad Bob. He was a terrible guy in Blazing Saddles. Mel Brooks, right? Oh, right. And right. Bob, Bad Bob was so bad that he went. You know, they had a f uh, fire for early morning coffee that the cowboys were were preparing. And, uh, you know, the, you see them sitting around, each with a cup, a metal cup, like the old days right. of coffee. And Bad Bob, he goes in, the, the coffee pot is on the fire. He takes the coffee pot, and that's, that's his drink. <laughs> he just <laughs> pours it right down. He's huh. so bad, Bad Bob. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's... No, no, it's a good analogy, because these lunatics who were saying, you know, there's no climate change, and let's have a Keystone pipeline. In fact, let's have pipelines everywhere. Let's not have houses Let's not have synagogues. Let's have pipelines. They're all put in power by money from these people. Citizens United, I hate to get into this because it's on the internet. I mean, it's true. End of the world. 
Citizens United lets anybody spend any amount of money on anything to put in a candidate, and the oil companies are the richest companies, so they can afford to put in the senators and congressmen, Democrats and Republicans. And therefore, climate change, don't talk about that because it's, it's going to fossil fuels will have to go. And I, I, you know, I have three houses, and my kids are going to college. My whole family is dependent upon me making more and more and more money. What are these tree huggers doing? They may be right, actually, but who cares? Actually, I wanted to say something about that. Some years ago, <laughs> can I do this? Yes. Yeah, you, Some years ago, uh, when Ronald Reagan was president, he uh, did a, the incredibly wise thing of putting John Ashcroft as the attorney general. And um, I had a particular sort of knowledge of this guy for some weird reason, uh, that he was just, you know, awful. Again, unconditional love, flowing out compassion. Sorry for your suffering, Mr. Ashcroft. But what actually happened was he was the attorney general. At one meeting, this pre-internet, um, somebody said to him, what do you think about global warming, which is what they called it more at that time. Do you believe that it exists? And he said, well, I don't know, but I think it does. I was surprised by that. Then he said, and it's good. And the person said, why is it good? Because it's going to wake us up. He said, no, the rapture will come quicker. This is the Attorney General of the United States of America, most powerful country in the history of the world. Is, is that true? Yes. I have it. I have it documented. He said, yeah, the rapture will come quickly. And those that have... The, the Attorney General? Yeah. A.G. John oh. Ashcroft. Ronald Reagan. Oh, oh, back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but they were talking about global warming then, and he even agreed that it existed, but said it's a good thing because it means the bad will disappear and the good will rise. They will rise. Okay. Uh, um, That's okay. it. <laughs> okay, now you're scaring me. Okay, I'm from Canada. I don't know a lot about these things. Well, do you think I do? Yeah, I well, you've assimilated way more than I. Yeah. Uh, but that is uh, news from the end of the world, yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right, I'm changing. That's it for that segment. Yes. And definitely. if you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, keep quiet. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's see. What's the premise? That I found something uh, that I, I really loved, and it was in, you know, um, it's really the story of a marriage uh, that had a traumatic event. And out of that traumatic event, a whole transformation happened. And the transformation, so I'll tell about it in a minute, but just to get the premise, the transformation that happened was one that many, many spiritual aspirants, quote unquote, people on the path, people who practice, one, the, in my mind, you know, and I say this all the time, the, the, the main result, if there's any result, and I don't think that's the right word, but the main reflection from doing this kind of work on oneself is one starts to lose some of that I, me, mine, day-to-day -day thing. You know, it, me, me, me. And starts to realize the connectivity of everything and uh, reaches out in a way that they have maybe previously not really been able to do for you know all of the obvious reasons fear and defensiveness and you know um, just completely attached to uh, role and identity and, and all of that so this is the story of someone who was i mean i can't see that in this article which is from the times 
I can't see that uh, the um, they had any real spiritual back. They may, they may do all sorts of things, but it is not evident in this uh, particular uh, situation. So um, here's what happened. Uh, three and a half years ago, what, and the guy's name is Tim, and you know, well, he put it in the paper, so you can, you know. While my fiance Sarah and I were having sex, I had a heart attack. Took less than seven minutes from the time uh, the wife called nine eleven, and the EMTs were in the apartment. Okay, so he, um, I'm not going to read the, the all of the details, but he um, obviously was uh, taken. Uh, in good time to the hospital, so he survived. He was a major smoker, so there's no... Uh, it's, obvious, it's a man about 50 years old, I would say. Um, so here he says, I quit smoking, which was easier than I imagined because I wasn't doing it for me, but for her. So this is the beginning. He started thinking outside his own box. I wasn't doing it for me, but for her. Eventually, our sex life came back, too, after a couple of years, where it felt as if a ticking bomb were under the bed, which mm. was about as much fun as it sounds. Mm. Um, um, I had experienced a traumatic event that underlined the consequences of poor choices. It would seem to follow that any reasonable person would see that and make the appropriate adjustments. Yet there are people smoking through uh, tra, tra... What's that? Oh, thing? it's, it's, the, it's uh, a tough it's word. Tra, I don't have it in front of me, but it's everybody knows. It's a trike... Trek, trectomy. Trek, no. Trek, trecheotomy hole, even as I write yeah, this. It's a very... Tough Weird word, thought yeah. this though, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, I've known it's insane. Yeah, I've seen, you see the yeah. ads on TV. Yep. Yep. There was nothing yep. inevitable about my response to my heart attack. It would have been more in character for me simply to return to my usual behavior since I'm stubborn and contrarian to a fault with a tendency towards casual self-destruction. Okay. Mm -hmm. So early... Um, uh, anyhow, uh, the foreman... I found myself close to 50 with a life I didn't much care for and no way out that I could see. While we waited for the EMTs to arrive, I was mostly at peace about how my life might end. This was not about whistling past the graveyard or putting on a brave face. A significant part of me truly wanted it to be finished. Okay, so it's here's somebody who was in despair. I mean, and then this happened. Um... So his wife basically took care, got in there, took care of every detail, getting him to the hospital and taking care of him in, in a way that was beyond any call of anybody. It was true devotion. Mm. My initial reaction to what she was doing was resentment. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Why would she want <coughs> to complicate this? Why couldn't she just let me go? But then I pictured her returning to our apartment alone in the event of my death carrying that bag of stuff I would never use. And that image stuck with me and started taking up space in my head. Right? This is a little, this is the crack. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I am not sure 
if we can sway the outcome either way, just to let go and die or to will ourselves to live. To think we can strikes me as more of a hopeful fiction that people cling to in such situations. What I think saved me that night was the competence of the professionals responsible for my care. But what Sarah, his wife, did in packing that bag for me, the quiet hope her act spoke to, that was the reason I listened to my doctors, took my medication, and even quit smoking. As much as her intention was affirming and, posi- and positive, it also exposed my own selfishness. So, you know, look at this event was so powerful that he, this was a, he was faced with just letting go and, and, and seeing all of his mm-hmm. absolute selfishness or right. doing something about it. Right. The pettiness of giving up on life just because sometimes life is hard. It embarrassed me the way being caught in a lie is embarrassing. Mm. Love doesn't afford us the luxury of caring or not caring only about ourselves. That, and I, so I read that particular sentence just set me off into this. Um, it, this is, um, you know, amazing when you see, and so if you can have any kind of, you know, um, from the Buddhist canon of course the eightfold path which you know i just did this thing with sharon i haven't even told you about that yeah, dave great um going for through sharon's the eightfold podcast path. yeah going through the eightfold paths but with right her. understanding yeah. yeah with her yeah but right understanding so this person um tim is coming into right understanding by virtue just of that how love reveals itself is sometimes a slow process the gradual accretion of all the seemingly mundane acts of kindness, sacrifice, mindfulness, and even bad behavior two people share. Sarah's act was an instance of what love looks like, stripped of all the usual bells and whistles. To have the opportunity to witness that, regardless of the circumstances, left me feeling like a fortunate man. It also made me want to match the level of commitment she so clearly demonstrated. Sarah had raised the bar for me in a way I could not ignore. And I think the raising of the bar. So we're not talking about romantic love. He is not. Ta- he's talking about unconditional love. She did an act of unconditional love to support him in this heart attack, and and the positive affirmation that she did. You know that that he could not ignore that he could not ignore that mm-hmm. uh, the generosity of um, of of um, that kind of love. I mean, uh, he just could not. Well, you ignore know, it. it reminds me. It's an amazing article. That I, I, I actually, it reminds me of a, a, a statement His Holiness uh, Dalai, the Dalai Lama made, which was in a book I have at home, and um, he says most so-called love is in fact the dynamic of possession. Uh, mm-hmm. And he said the reason most of it fails, and he was referring to the divorce rate in the United States, uh, is because it wasn't real to begin with. It was just, I want you, I want you, I must have you. And he said, just like everything else, if you're wanting something outside and you get it, eventually it becomes nothing. 
it's like having a you know buying a, a really great Mercedes and and you know and then in three years you don't even notice when you get in it, it's just there and then you take it for granted and then it it breaks down and eventually it's just dust, and I think that what His Holiness was saying here was that be very careful about what we, the use of the word love that this isn't love this is acquisition, and that much young love uh, is clouded in a kind of romantic, sentimental thing, but in fact it's about possession. He was very forthright about this. He didn't come back from it. He didn't say, oh, some people you know, have unconditional love at the age of 25. He knows that some do. But it, what he was saying was that the rush to marry, the rush to possess a partner, is usually originates on the physical uh, plane. And then, when that physical plane becomes, and he says this too, he says we get bored with the physical plane very quickly, and then when that happens, what's left? Well, there's love, but there's no love here because it wasn't based on love, it was based on lust. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't want to yeah. get all you yeah. know, li like that about it, but, but it reminds me of the same thing. This guy, the revelation came when when all was lost, really, and he saw that Sarah, his, his partner, his wife, uh, was doing for him and for herself but she unconditionally. was unconditionally that's the key word it. to the whole thing unconditionally when mm. that's like there's a story I, don't, I may have told you the story Dave um, when we were in India with Neem Karoli Baba um, there was one this was after uh, no, no was it no it was during before he left that body we were in Allahabad city where the Ganges and the uh, Yamuna and Saraswati come together. It's an amazing place. Um, and uh, we were staying um, with Dada's. Actually, Krishnadas, uh, all of you out there know Krishnadas. If anybody doesn't know Krishnadas, send us a note and we'll send you a track of Krishnadas because you'll like it. Um, he told me this. So there was one person in our group Right, who had hooked up with another woman while they were in India, okay, and they became boyfriend, girlfriend, and so on and so forth. And so, just you know, so the backdrop is the experience of being with unconditional love, right, with this being, with Maharaji. And but they are having this, you know, the usual kind of relationship that's romantic, and you know, two people falling in love, and so on and so forth, but also going through stuff. So apparently they had a fight, they broke up or something, and the, the guy came to uh, uh, Allahabad and uh, where um, this man, Dada Mukherjee, who you know, and yeah. he's our mentor from India, get, by the way, get by his grace, Dada's book, go, go to Amazon, get that book, go to Amazon, <laughs> go to Mind Rolling Podcast. We haven't said anything. No. About our support. See how lousy we are, but we'll we'll leave that to later. Yeah, but go finish your Yeah, I gotta finish yeah, the story. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Um so he's he starts he's complaining to Dada, or not complaining, he's fetching and, and he's crying. We had a fight and then, oh my god, I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know, we I thought we would be together and now I don't know. And you know, he's going through the whole thing with Dada. Why on earth? I don't know. Because Dada never had anything on his mind but that singular thing of service <laughs> with Maharaji. So, um, and so this, he told, he said, Krishnadas, can you believe this? Can you believe? They're with, he's with, on a day to day basis, he's with 
Maharaji. And he meant, can you believe he's with this, this where there's no duality? It's just unconditional. There's no absolute. I don't need anything from you. I'm not asking, not even in words, but in vibration. There's nothing. It's only coming one way, this feeling. It's only coming one way. You're not worried about if you don't, you know, I mean, nothing, in, you know, in any circumstances. He said, can you believe he's crying about, he said, uh, he said to Krishnadas, it's just business. This is a relate, these kinds of, you know, this, it's business. I'm going to love you. It's a contract, but you're going to have to love me back. Right. Right. There's no way that it's, so it's, once you have business <laughs> And he went, can you believe this? I mean, so that is, you know, so what to me this Tim is experiencing is no business. And, you know, there's no business. She was not expecting anything. You know, I mean, she was she felt like obviously she was optimistic that he would live, you know, but she was just putting out like, you know, and I've seen especially um women who in in real maas as they call them in india when the shit hits the fan they're like totally there mm -hmm. you know they're totally there and they're it's unconditional and they're not thinking about themselves and that's the key they're not she wasn't thinking about herself and so he saw that and that changed him i mean it's amazing i mean i feel in these you know in this what he's writing that it's very sincere so i was just blown away by that kind of an event where spiritual, quote-unquote, as I said before, people wait lifetimes to to realize uh, any kind of selflessness. So I thought it was fabulous. Yeah, it is. You, it's very unpretentious, you see. He's not going to any dogma or saying, I practice this and therefore that. He's saying it just awoke him. Mm. I have to say that the trance of conditional love is so powerful that, yeah. you know, I'm a pretty... Uh, you know, I'm constantly questioning myself for the past, you know, decades. And yet that trance would just take me over and goodbye. I forgot everything. And it happened to me, just like it happens to most people, several times, sometimes ending in marriage and sometimes marriage is ending uh, because I hadn't got it down. The trance took me over. I thought, it's great. This is great. She's a wonderful person. I'm in love with her. And I was. You do fall in love, but that word fall in love, why is it fall in love? Why is it not rise in <laughs> love? You know, yeah. let's not, I mean, we're not, neither of us here are trying to be, you know, uh, judgmental or saying something dark about this. It's a human trait. But what Tim in the New York Times article does is he iterates easily that it took an extreme situation where he couldn't possibly go on thinking and acting the way he was before because he saw something. And he saw it in his wife, mm. who was clearly a true partner in the yeah, situation. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so it's amazing that, you know, there's no judgment or anything else on, no, on no. anything. It's just magnificent, really, that um, he had enough awareness and, uh, and mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, to recognize. I mean, that's so that's, that's right understanding, and that's a mm. perfect example of that Buddhist tenet. Um, but then you were—you uh, had something else, uh, sort of. Oh yeah, uh, tangential. Yeah, I—I I saw this on HuffPost. Um, this guy called Terry Crews. Some of you might know him. Uh, he stars in a a television show called Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's a cop show. I haven't seen it. 
He's also going to be the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is an amazing quiz show, actually. Just starts that soon. And he was in Old Spice commercials. Uh, he's a very handsome, vital African-American man. And um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Is that like the old show where they give away, you know? No. No, yeah. it's just a trivia thing, but it's actually a pretty sophisticated show, and it's not, for some reason, it's not objectionable or offensive. It's very enjoyable because people really have to make decisions all the time as to whether they want money or... You, you saw it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's on. It's Do on they give it away a million dollars? It's in its 17th season, but... Uh, they d- Very rarely. It's the 17th season? Yeah. It, no, one, only so a very few where people. Where am I? Very small number of people want a million dollars. People usually leave with 5,600 or nothing or 12,000, it gets harder and harder and harder, and by the end of it, you're, the questions are really difficult, and that's why I like it. Anyway, he's going to be the host of that. I'm not promoting that show, but if you want to catch it, you can. What happened with Terry uh, was that, uh, this was in, in Huffington Post, as I say, on the blog. So he did a blog, like Rago and I do a, a blog, but it's written, and it's called How I Forgave My Father and Why Everyone Should. And, uh, you know, to praise it is easy. His father was abusive. Wait, beat wait, beat his mother. Excuse me. Yes. Praciate? Uh, Praci. Praci. Yeah. And y- w- did you say praciate? No. J- it, to praci is easy? Yeah. I think it's a wrong use of the word. It's a French word. It's not <laughs> praci. So it's, okay. you know, hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm getting unnecessarily attacked. Okay. So, to pre-see this article, summarize it, all right, um, his father was just a, an abusive father and beat his mother. It wasn't just, you know, like verbal or anything. The boy came home and saw this awful stuff going on. And it, it damaged him for a long time. But then suddenly he realized that he was not getting through at all to his father. He would talk to his dad and say, what are you doing this for? And I can't love you because of this, and it's so terrible. His father was resistant. But then uh, Terry had a moment when he realized, okay, this doesn't work. Um, And he said, I started giving Big Terry, that's his father, credit for what he did do. He was a good earner. He was a good provider. I never excused, excused what had been wrong, but also being able to see the positive finally changed my perspective. It changed my view of our story. Finally, it all became clear to me, and I called my father. Big Terry, I said, I truly believe this man. If I could choose who my parents were, I would choose you. And it took a lot to say it, but it was the absolute truth. I realized if I had Bill Cosby as a parent, I could have ended up in a whole different place, and not necessarily a good one either. I've seen great kids come from terrible parents, and I've seen awful kids come from the best parents. And for me, Big Terry and Trish are how I got here. I'd choose you all over again if I could pick my parents, I said. I'd pick you. He cried, and he cried. And talk about a breakthrough. As soon as those words came out of my mouth, out of my mouth everything changed. He was suddenly humble. Terry, I'm sorry for what I did to you and Marcel, he said. I was wrong. Wow. Terry Jr. writes, As much as I'd longed for an apology from my father for all those years, I'd never really thought it was possible. But by finding my own compassion for him, I'd broken down everything that needed to be broken within him. Before that, I'd always hoped that when he got himself together, he'd come to me. I'd always been waiting for him. When really, 
He was just waiting for that from me. Mm. Beautiful stuff. It's the same story. Yes. You're right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just where life's acts in life um, directly transform people, which is mostly the case. And I think that the, the helpful thing for anybody, I mean, so he is to, if you have some perspective around mindfulness and aware, awareness, you know, or just some kind of connectivity to being able to look at, at yourself, look at the karma of your life, look at the actions of your life, look at the reactions and be able to do that, that when these things happen, I think they can have even a, a bigger impact, uh, you know, um, I, well, I have an extreme, of course, uh, connection to this and a similar story with a father who, um, unfortunately, this story has been told uh, way too many times by me on podcasts and Ramdas podcasts and so on. But just briefly, I really did have a hard time with my father and it was all around anger. And, um, you know, uh, and I also was taking that anger on outside of my relationship with him. And, and I mean, to this day, I'm dealing with, with this. And uh, the, the way that w how life intruded to uh, allow for awareness to come in is because we were both sitting with, with Neem Karoli Baba. My father came to India to see how we were, my brother and I were doing. And in that moment, I mean, this, you know, obviously my father was really dynamited by <laughs> Maharaji, you know, Got him to take acid and blah blah blah. It's a whole wonderful story that's on uh, many other, a uh, couple other podcasts. Um, but uh, so, but that uh, allowed us to have awareness of how we were um, running old tapes between us, how we were um, still confronting that. We got one step back, so we could take both of us take a look. And um, and start to live through that way more consciously to the point where we did have some, you know, I began to have some compassion for my father. And he began to have some understanding, right? And um, it's to the point, many years later, a good 10, 12 years before he passed, which was last year, um, he said to me, uh, we were at an event, and we were just out back, Dad and I, having a toke. He was great. He loved to toke. Um, and um, he just looked at me in the eye and he goes, are we okay? And I I knew he meant it was in so many different ways. Uh, but I took it as, oh, actually, I said, yeah, we're fine. And I felt that. And I said, you know, whatever, I actually said this, I remember right now, Whatever anger I still manifest, you know, which I used to blame on you, I'm, you know, I am taking responsibility <laughs> now for the first time and stop blaming. And so we, we, we were able to have that kind of a conversation. And uh, that was, uh, again, in, in a big way, of course, karma intruded to change our perspective. And I think, you know, uh, this is really, it's a perspective adjustment that life gives you, you know, these, that example with Tim, the example with, uh, Terry, Terry, yeah. and, and the example in my own example. So it, it's pretty amazing that, so again, if you can just have some little seed of, uh, awareness so that, y 
you're not caught in in what goes down in your life. You rather can step back and go and be able to use it for transformation. And sometimes it's unavoidable, but you do get a choice. Tim, this guy had a choice. He could actually just leave. What the, you know, stay. I've been terrible in my life. I've been indulgent. I've been whatever. And that one act it helped to transform him to be a solid human, shall we say. Right. And it's sometimes very difficult to take that attitude. Uh, always somewhat difficult because, you know, we've been taught sort of dualism in the in the worst sense, which is us and them. And, you know, Raghu Roshi John, Roshi John Halifax said to us this morning, when we we're doing another podcast with her, that... Uh, the resistance to Obama, and this is coming from one of the wisest beings on this planet, is basically racist, she said. And uh, she showed no hatred or any kind of, you know, um, sort of aggressive attitude towards these racists. She grew up in the South and she was part of the civil rights movement uh, before she was a, a Zen a student and eventually an abbot of a, a major the Upaya Zen Center, uh, she saw that it was racism. And I've been saying that, like a lot of people, I mean, Obama's made mistakes, we all know that, whatever. But we also know that a lot of the opposition to him is pure racism, and it was there from the start. Mitch McConnell said one day after he was elected, my whole mission as majority leader, or my, actually minority leader in the Senate, is to get rid of Obama. And when he said that, I just was filled with hatred. I just wanted to strangle the guy. Because it was so offensive. Now, what Roshi Joan and, and people sort of like her, there's no one quite like her, but other great wise beings, they just teach us it's not a question of obscuring the truth, right? In other words, you know these people are acting in a lousy way. There's no getting away from that. The real question is what is coming out of you? What are you emitting? And I, I think I had tremendous anger politically for most of my life. My father was... Uh, a great influence on me, and he, he was a very, I thought, brilliant man. Uh, did not show anger, but he was extremely critical of, of British class system and uh, sexism and uh, not racism, but everything else. And I learned it from him. But what I didn't learn was how to, the, the equanimous response to it, and therefore I couldn't show compassion to the likes of Ronald Reagan or George Bush or any of them. I just didn't like them and didn't want to have hear about it. It's like you know. But then Ramdas, as some of you know, it's been repeated many times, you know. The very first time I went to his residence in Maui years ago, I did see his beautiful puja and couldn't help but see the picture of George Bush, the president at that time, the senior Bush on the puja, and Ramdas articulated it as being he's a soul and as a soul he's no different from you or me. That's a lousy incarnation, poor man. And therefore, Rondas, in his usual transcendent manner, and also very down-to-earth manner at the same time, it's incredible, um, he just was able to go, you know, don't hate this guy. He's suffering. Do you hate someone who's got cancer? Hopefully not. And so uh, he managed to put together, as Rondas has done thousands of times, a paradox and make it, make it sort of work for us all. I don't think saying he's suffering is very accurate, though. I don't think. You don't think George Bush was suffering? No. I do not think George Bush, That's in his personality, 
aspect in his deep soul incarnation level yeah. i think that's more of what he, he ramdas might have meant because on a day-to-day good old george didn't look like he was suffering very much you mean the far i'm talking about the father and the mother, and the mother. no he one. wasn't he was talking about the the, the last one the yeah last no one, he was yeah. The, yeah no well either one of them it doesn't matter i don't think you know so i think the suffering is on a much yeah. uh, deeper longer term kind of a thing because of the karma he was causing right by virtue of whatever ignorance came with that incarnation yeah yeah and we frequently find with presidents of the united states that after they leave the office they become mellow and lyndon johnson is the best example of this ever lbj as you know continued and intensified the vietnam war after uh, john kennedy was assassinated and was very hawkish but after he left, and he didn't run again, uh, they showed a photograph of him in the papers, and he had long, long, long hair to his shoulders like a, an aging hippie. And it blew everybody's <laughs> mind. Everybody. said, so what mm. happened to LBJ? Well, what happened was he left the White House, and he thought, wow, mm. what, a, what, a, what a nightmare that I've caused and made worse, maybe. And, uh, you know? Really, I, huh? I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to trivial but george bush george the last george bush you know he's been doing these paintings and everything you've seen it yeah right he's uh, happy as a clam yeah he's happy yeah. but i think he's happy because he's not having to do that anymore yeah, not because well, he's so satisfied with who knows i yeah. mean i don't want to uh you know get into that because yeah. it's it's, it's this is more of the end of the world kind of uh, well, it's a mix. The last yeah. thing, we, we your thing from the times with Tim and, and the yeah. realization, that's the beginning of a new world. Yeah. George Bush is, is a mixture of the end yeah, of the world. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Do you have any more end of the world stuff um, uh, now that we're back there? No, okay. um, but I'm going to come up with some for, n- for next time. But uh, okay. th- there's one other thing that, that I, I saw, and uh, amazingly, you'll have a lot to say about it, uh, or oh. at least something to say about it, and that's... I read about this guy. It's uh, it's called the Day of Forgetting. That somehow, and nobody seems to know, you know, how it happened. And he, the doctors don't, you know, nothing. I mean, you know, it has a name. It's called transient global amnesia, TGA. Okay, suddenly, as a, he got a near total disruption of short term memory. In many cases, there's temporary loss of long term as well. And it, it lasts approximately 2 to 20 hours. So it's a one-day thing. Okay? So this happened to this guy. And so it's a combination of, uh, he said, losing my short-term memory was the most terrifying experience of my life. It was also the most liberating. And when I read that, I went, yeah, wow, suddenly... You're not into any, you are really be here now. You are not into any referral of past or or Mm. future. Uh, And, you know, but of course, it's kind of like, I guess it'd be like taking acid and you suddenly got to let go, you know, because there's no reference points anymore. Anyhow, so folks out there, you, of course, won't, you'll believe this because, you know, Every week or so, Dave, com- I say something and he comes up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. One. I met him. I did that. Well, yeah, I, no. I, I, I had this experience, very in a, a sort of minor way, but very interesting. I, I was involved in a car crash in two, uh, August two thousand and eight, when I was rear-ended at very high speed by uh, a gentleman in a truck who was high on meth, and he hit me so hard that uh, we were talking about Korea before, but my Kia. Uh, SUV survived it 
<laughs> crumpled. Yes, South Korea. Yeah, Thank yeah. God for the Kia. Yeah, right. It just crumpled <laughs> like a concertina, you know, it just absolutely crumpled until it got to the back of where I was sitting. And then it stopped. And um, I thought everything was cool, you know. And I just hurt my ankle a little bit and got out. But I was um, unconscious, uh, concussed for 13 minutes. And I didn't even know that. Well, what happened was, when as I was getting out of the Kia, I see a green fire engine and a white ambulance instantaneously as I was hit. I thought, wow, that is beyond words. And the first thing I said to this trooper, the state trooper, was, how could you have been here? I ju- it just happened one second ago. And he went, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, wait, 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 no, no, no. It took us 13 minutes to get here. You were out. Oh, and then it came back to me. What actually happened was I got out of the, the, the Kia. I walked around the front of the Kia. I had no concept of anything, and I saw a Jersey cow. It was farming country, upstate New York. A beautiful black and white Jersey cow staring at me through a fence. And I remember looking at that cow and just not wanting to move anywhere or go anywhere or do anything else in my whole life. That cow was so exquisite. I could see the <laughs> fur. I could see everything. And, the, and her eyes were looking at me, and I was looking at her. And, and that's all I remember. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. But that, you know, that was after a concussion. And what I realized when the, the, the cop said to me, what's your name? I struggled with that. It was odd. Mm. And I eventually said, David, couldn't remember my second name. And then he said, uh, wait a minute, are you with that film that's being made here? And I said, ah, yes. And then I remembered everything, everything. Mm. So unlike this Dutch man who wrote this uh, thing about, uh, you know, amnesia, I, I was rescued out of it by another human being. But I will say that in that little moment when I was looking at that cow, uh, I was pretty cool. I was chilled. It was all right. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't go around looking at cows much. <laughs> you were in the moment. Yeah. With Dave was in the moment with that cow, which, you know, I, I can really, I get that way uh, in India when I have nothing, I have, you know, way less reference points, so I'm less going back and forwards past, present, future. I mean, mo- so you're just there in that moment yeah. with the cow. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. And thanks to Kia. I'm going to, uh, yeah. by the way, yeah. we, we've forgotten t- about our support that is so necessary from you all. <laughs> I mean, we're a year and a half into this and at this, this point, and, it's, and you are responding and we are building, and we, but we, we, we are told we must continue to remind you to donate or get a T-shirt or go to Amazon or Audible, go through mindrollingpodcast.com and help in one way or the other. Yes. Uh, because this is all free, and, but, you know, uh, Dave had to fly down here, for instance, you know. Yeah, and to our friend, pay um, him back. we have a friend um, who's called um, Abramson. He lives in Cambridge in England. He's a Scottish man, and he does a podcast. And he wrote to us a couple of days ago, and, and I'd said in my angry rant about, not, about you not supporting us that, you know, we got paltry. That was the word I used, paltry. Thing, checks it's a from Dixonian Amazon. word, paltry. So, yeah, so, um, you know, Mr. Abramson reminded me of that and said, I just sent you a, quote, paltry donation. <laughs> so it, can we change that to uh, <laughs> exalted donation or something? I yeah, yeah, well, I, you know, he, he uh, most people can't afford these days to, uh, you know, there's so many things you can uh, contribute to, 
But, yeah. you know, the smallest thing will help us because it adds up sometimes and uh, and it shows. It's not just the money, although that's helpful, obviously. It's also knowing that people are out there listening, you know, <laughs> and that we're not just doing this for ourselves. Yeah. Well, you know. we're, you know. Audible.com also. Uh, go there and look for um, audiobooks. You get a free trial for a month. You get a free book. And I mean, if you don't want to go on with it, you don't have to. But we get some money out of that, so. We, we don't have to sound that paltry, okay, in terms of we want to know somebody's listening to us. We do get metrics, okay? Yeah, there, we have good metrics. You know, there are... Uh, <laughs> we, we have good metrics, bad fif- optics. 15,000, 20,000 people are listening, so... <laughs> yeah, no, know, I, I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. We know that... You, we are, we need either. to get to... Honestly, uh, we... we uh, we're this year, you know, we want to build the audience because then we can get sponsors. You see, yeah, then we you need don't have to we bond. need like thirty, forty, fifty thousand people to get uh, we're sponsors. There. We're getting um, there. And 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 then we could like call Kia and say, "Listen to this. Dave was saved in your car. Right, got hit at high speed. The right. only thing that happened to him is he had darshan of a cow, and because <laughs> of your car." You should be sponsoring us. So yeah, that's, really. That's where if you're I listening get from to Kia. This. Yeah, please. Anybody? I love you. Yeah, Kia. Anybody knows anybody at Kia in marketing? Please. Well, it just goes to show people said for years that much it's Korean product yeah. was cheap and no. Of course, we did. You did bring up the South Korean ladies. You know, the end of the world. Yeah, I kind of wish I hadn't done yeah, that. Yeah. Now. now that's not. I good, mean, it yeah. was not nice, but it was end of the world stuff. It's mm. like, an, an, why are people so exactly. cruel to their people? Their progenitors. Come on. Um, all all right. right, that's it. No, no. Oh yes, that no? is all of our our time is allotted for all right. the, for the this podcast. Yeah. All right. So, um, thanks, Dave. Yeah, and good. and just as a little, I, I want to apologize even more. Uh, uh, many of you have have messaged us on Facebook and then written to the website with very cogent and uh, great questions and everything. We try and answer them all, and we do. But we get a lot, and um, they're always interesting to me. So thank you uh, for that, because that really stimulates uh, podcasts themselves, and also um, the interactive nature of it is is very healthy, I think. And yeah, it's it's wonderful to feel community, kind of communists. Communists. Communists out there. That's how communists happen. Yeah, a bunch of commies. Okay. Um, Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.